Well, so today I have the privilege of sharing a message with you. And I'm going to give you the title up front. It's called Shake, Don't Break. So just put that in your mind. And I was sitting in a Starbucks one day. And there was this pastor that came in periodically throughout the weeks and throughout the, the years. And occasionally he would have a word from the Lord for me. Now, this day in particular, he didn't have a word from the Lord. He had a scripture he wanted to share with me. And this scripture was from Proverbs 24, verse 10. And the scripture says this, If you fail under pressure, your strength is too small. Now, when he shared that to me, I would love to say that my initial response was, Pastor, that is so deep. That is so profound. That has changed my life. But if I'm honest... My first thought was, well, duh. Like, thank you, Captain Obvious. The grass is green, the sky is blue, and if you fail under pressure, your strength is too small. Like, why is that even in there? It, is, it seems so unnecessary. But because I respect him, I spent time thinking about that and wrestling with that. And at some point, I had this kind of revelation that maybe what this this verse is actually saying is that pressure reveals what's real. There is something about pressure that cuts through the facade, that cuts through what you say is true and actually gets to the heart of what is really true. Pressure reveals what's real. And I was thinking about this verse, and I was thinking about that thought as I reflected back over 2020. As I was thinking back over the course of this year, I was thinking, man, we've experienced a lot of pressure, haven't we? Just starting with a global pandemic, stay-at-home orders, having to quarantine anytime you come in contact with someone who tests positive for COVID, and then you factor in the racial tension that we've experienced, and then you look at just the political nastiness that's been in our country all year long. It's been a tough year. There's been a lot of pressure. And so I've been thinking, like, what has the pressure shown me about myself this year? And so I remember back in March when the stay-at-home orders first went into effect, one of the things that first went through my mind is, cool, so I'm going to be stuck in my apartment for a good part of the year. So I guess I'm not dating anyone. I, I guess the chance of me being in a relationship's not happening, and then getting married for sure is not happening. So I'm great, awesome. I'm just gonna redshirt this entire year. And at my age, and at my age, it's like a bit soul crushing to think, oh, I'm guaranteed to be single at the end of this year. Awesome. But so it started to trigger some like insecurities, like, oh, th this is this is bad. I'm gonna turn 40 and be single. This is not what I wanted. But then those insecurities started to trigger other insecurities. And you're like, what is wrong? Some of this stuff doesn't even make sense. These emotions don't make sense. And so typically the way I relieve stress and relieve pressure is I go play basketball. But the gym shut down and I looked everywhere, literally everywhere to play basketball. But they took the rims down at the park and, I, and they shut the cages at other parks. I'm like, I just wanna play basketball. I just want to relieve the pressure, but I can't. And so the pressure builds and the, the emotions start to come up. And then the isolation sets in. And I'm sure you felt this. Even if you were with a family, I'm sure that you felt this isolation where you used to interact with people on a regular basis. You saw them on a Sunday morning. You saw them throughout the week, but now you don't. And there's this weird radio silence 
where you think, why don't I hear from this person? Do they, do they not love me? Do they not care about me? And you start to really like believe these storylines about situations and about people and you believe the worst about people you care about. And so I'm dealing with all this stuff going in my mind and coming up in my heart and I'm not really happy with the stuff that was revealed in my heart. But what I discovered is there's this isolation, there's this loneliness, there's this bitterness that starts to come up, there's this anger, and you're like, ooh, my heart is really ugly right now. There are so many times over the course of this summer I thought, man, my heart is really ugly. And I knew God was drudging stuff up for a reason. It was God bringing stuff to the surface so he could deal with it. And I just kind of wonder, over the course of this year, um, what has been revealed to be real in your life? Because I would like to amend my previous statement. Yes, pressure reveals what's real. But what we've learned in 2020 is crisis reveals what's real. I heard a pastor named Robert Ferguson say a couple weeks ago in a message that crisis is the great revealer. There's something about crisis that just drudges up all kinds of stuff in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. And I just wonder, what have you seen come to the surface in your life? For some of you, maybe what you discovered is that your faith has been a little bit shaken this year. Your faith wasn't quite as solid as you thought it was. That the idea of uh, God being loving in, in the middle of all the stuff that's happened this year is really tough for you to reconcile. Maybe what you've discovered is you don't really like the person you're married to. You didn't have to spend this much time with them before. And now that you have, you're like, ooh, I don't know if I like you so much. Maybe you even felt the same way about your kids, and now you got to help them with their schoolwork, and you're trying to figure out, like, I could barely get through this whenever I went through it, and now i got to help you. And maybe it's triggered some insecurities, like, I can't be a teacher. I can't help you with this. I failed algebra, and now i got to help you pass it. And so you start to realize, like, oh, I feel in over my head big time. Maybe for you what you've discovered is that the friendships you thought were real and you thought were close, are not actually that close. You didn't have the friend that you thought you did. Maybe what you discovered, though, is when you came face to face with yourself, you just didn't like you very much. And like me, maybe you saw some of this stuff coming up in your life and you thought, man, my heart is so ugly. What is it that the crisis has revealed in your life this year? Because the truth is, we've all gone through it. No one has escaped in the shaking that has happened this year. And we've come through this year feeling just a bit shaken because of everything that's happened. And if you are that in that place today, I just want to encourage you. This is not the first time we've experienced a crisis in history. And it's not the first time there's been a crisis in the scriptures. Matter of fact, Jesus and his disciples went through a crisis as well. Now, Jesus and his disciples, he had 12 guys that he spent like every day throughout the week for three years. I don't know if I could do it. I don't know if I could hang out with anyone every day throughout the week for three straight years, but they did. And you just imagine like the friendship that was born out of that. They did life together. They did ministry together. 
But Jesus knew that the time was coming for that to change because he was on a collision course with death on a cross. He was on a collision course with his fate in life. And he looked at his disciples and he knew they just weren't quite ready. And so there's this last supper where they have a final meal together. And he says to them, you just need to know one of y'all is going to betray me. And none of them think it's them. They're like, who could it be? Who could it be? It's not me. It's not me. But he's trying to warn them, one of you is going to do it. And then after that, it sparks this weird debate amongst the disciples about who was the greatest. They're arguing about who is the best out of all the apostles. And Jesus had just told them, the greatest among you is the least. But they didn't hear that. They didn't hear that at all. They're like, which one of us is the best? And Jesus is just thinking like, man, y'all are not ready for this. Y'all are missing the point right and left. And so he pivots the conversation. He singles out Peter, whose original name was Simon. But when he came into relationship with Jesus, he changed his name to Peter, which means rock. And so he singles out Peter. And in Luke 22, we get to see what Jesus says to him. He starts off by saying, Simon, Simon, which is the equivalent of my mom saying, Dustin Matthew. He's saying, hey, I need you to pay attention, so I'm going to say your name twice. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. But Jesus said, boy, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. That is a tough thing to hear. If if Jesus came to me and said, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. I don't even know what it means to be sifted as wheat, but you involve Satan and being sifted? I'm cool. I don't want any part of that. No thanks. Now, look, I'm not a farmer, but I do have Google. And when I research what it means to sift and to be sifted, essentially what it is is taking the wheat you can eat from the wheat you can't. And for us, it's this removal of impurities. To be sifted is, is to have the impurities in your life removed. And sifting is actually really essential to a believer's life because it's the only way the junk in our life, the baggage in our life is removed and we are able to be effective and powerful in this world. It's the only way for us to make the difference that Jesus intends for us to make in this world. But sifting can leave us feeling a little shaken. The question though that I have is, so he singles out, Jesus singles out Peter and says, you are about to be sifted as wheat. Now he says all of them, but he singles Peter out. What was it in Peter that needed to be sifted out? I mean, Peter was bold. He was courageous. He was a leader. He had this sincere love for Jesus. What was it that needed to be sifted out? I would think it's this, is when the crisis hit, Peter could talk a good game when he was around his boys, But when the pressure was applied, when the crisis hit, he did the exact thing that Jesus said he would do. So now he was courageous enough to follow at a distance when Jesus was drug off to trial. But then when he encountered people that said, hey, 
I recognize you from Jesus' followers. He's like, no, I wasn't. I went there. And then someone said, I recognize your accent. You sound like a Galilean. I think you're one of Jesus' crew. He's like, you don't know what you're talking about. I wasn't there. And then finally someone says, I saw you in the garden. I saw you chop someone's ear off. He's like, you're crazy. I wasn't there. I don't even know this guy. And he denies Jesus. This was the same guy who said, I'll go to prison for you. I'll die for you. What do you need me to do, Jesus? I'll do it. And in that moment when he, acted, he actually had to show up, he folded. And in Luke 22, verse 61, right after Peter had denied Jesus the third time, at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter Suddenly, the, word, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. There's something about that phrase, weeping bitterly, that shows us some indication that Peter was repenting. He knew he screwed this thing up. And this crisis just showed Peter that you can talk big in front of the other guys, but you didn't take Jesus seriously at all. When he said Satan is about to sift you as wheat, he wasn't listening. He said, man, I'll go to jail for you. I'll die for you. He wasn't listening. Jesus was trying to say, you need to be on guard. He, matter of fact, he even said, watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But Peter didn't listen. He was a little too full of himself, too much bravado, he had too much pride in his life. And so he got caught napping. He wasn't ready for the test. But the other thing it showed him is he cared a little too much about what everyone else thought. He was a little too consumed with what these people thought of him. And then when he actually had to, to lay down his life for the Lord, he was a little too consumed with his own self-preservation. It's one thing to say you'll die for someone. It's another thing to actually have to do it. And what Peter discovered is, you may look bold, but it's another thing to actually be bold. When it says that in the scriptures that he went away weeping bitterly, he knew he'd screwed up. He knew he had failed miserably. But don't we all fail? We all fail. We all blow it from time to time. Matter of fact, you may have blown it significantly just in this year. Maybe you've screwed it up royally just in 2020. But the good news is, is like, failure doesn't define you. It's our response to failure that defines us. That's what matters. And we actually get to see Peter's response to failure in John uh, 21, verse 3. So in John 21, verse 3, Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. The other disciples said, we'll come too. So they all go out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, jumped in the water, and headed for shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they are only a hundred yards away. 
When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. I have always found this passage interesting because Peter started off as a fisherman. That was his trade. He was good at it. And then Jesus came to him in a situation just like this and said, hey, haven't you caught anything? Throw your net on the other side. Which to a fisherman, you're like, who are you? When have you fished? And this random guy is telling you how to do your job. And so it's meant, this whole story is meant to remind Peter of his call to ministry because at that moment, Jesus said to him, you used to be a fisherman, but I want you to come be a fisher of men. I want you to be a fisher of women. I want you to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And so Peter left everything to follow Jesus. But when he screwed it up, for whatever reason, he went back. He went back to what he used to do, to who he used to be. It even calls him Simon, his old name. And I find that fascinating because when we screw up, there is this tendency to go back. We go back to old behaviors. We go back to old attitudes. We go back to old stuff that we didn't need, old friends, old, old stuff that's comfortable for us. And and so Peter in this moment starts to go back. And then Jesus shows up. He has breakfast with his boys and then takes Peter for a walk. And I love that we get to hear the interchange between Jesus and Peter. Probably because John was, he was like creeping behind him so he could write in the book. But in John 21 verse 15, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Jesus, or Peter replied, you know I love you, then feed my lambs. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you, then take care of my sheep. A third time he asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the, the same question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. And here's what I love about it. Every time Peter says, you know, I love you, Jesus' response is, well, get back to work. Get back to it. Take care of the, the young people who are, who are not quite mature in their faith. Take care of my lambs. Take care of the experienced people who have been in the faith a long time. Take care of my sheep. He's saying, get back to work, Peter. You used to be a fisherman, but now you're a shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. And he's passing his vocation on to Peter and saying, what are you going back to? We got work to do. Because here's what I love. Jesus told Peter what to do long before the crisis ever hit. He said to him, I have pleaded in prayer that your faith will not fail. But when it does, it's gonna and when it does, and you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers and sisters. So in effect, Jesus is saying, when this crisis hits and it drudges up the worst in your heart and you think your heart is ugly and you feel ashamed for what you've done, don't you dare run away from my call on your life. Don't you dare run away from the ministry I've given you to do. Turn back. Come back to me. Come back to the ministry I've given you. You got work to do. Yeah. 
Because failure doesn't define you. It's your response to failure that defines you. He knew exactly what he was supposed to do. And Jesus is reminding him. He's saying, get back to work. You got people to care for. And there, this year, many of us have just been shaken. We've gone through a sifting. And I would dare to say every one of us has experienced the sifting of some kind. But here's the reality of the situation. Satan is trying to sift out your faith. Jesus is trying to sift out your flaws. This year, Satan has tried to sift out your faith. But Jesus can flip the sifting on its head and sift out the very things that hold you back and make you better. That's the good news, is he works all things together for the good of those who love him. He takes what was meant to destroy you, and it actually makes you better when you keep coming back. You got to keep coming back. That is the only difference between us and the heroes of the faith and the scriptures. They kept coming back. They screwed up just as much as we did, but they kept coming back, and they kept coming back. You screw it up, all right, let's go back. Let's go back. You don't have to start over. You pick up where you left off, and you start again. Come back to the Lord. We can't avoid the sifting, but we can control what gets sifted out. We will be sifted many times in our lives, and we can't control when it happens or when it comes, but we can control what gets sifted out. Is it going to be your faith, or are you going to let Jesus sift out your flaws and make you better and stronger? Will you let Jesus form in you a faith that will not fail? This year has tried to shake you and sift you. It's tried to shake your confidence in God. It's tried to sift out your faith that God is good. It's tried to sift out your confidence that God is in charge. It's tried to to get you to abandon your faith. And Jesus will turn that sifting and that shaking on its head if you allow him to. If you will keep coming back. And you will let him do a work in your life. He will take what was meant for evil and turn it to good. Remember, Satan is trying to sift out your faith. But Jesus is trying to sift out your flaws. But you got to come back. You got to choose to come back to your faith. Come back to Jesus. Come back to your hope. Come back to your church family. There are some of us. We've endured the sifting and the shaking, and some of us have come back. But there are some who haven't. And I just want to say that for those who have come back, you have a job to do. You didn't know it, but I'm letting you know today you have a job to do. So we won't penalize you for not knowing what your job was, but today here's your job. It's to strengthen the people around you. It's to help people get back on their feet. And I know you feel inadequate to do that. But it is not like you have to do some holy prayer and like put oil all over the heads. It's it's not this priestly thing you got to do. It's as simple as praying for people on a regular basis. You pray every day for people. You send encouraging texts, make encouraging phone calls. You check in on people, see how they're doing. You go and spend time with people. And you don't have to do it for like 20 people. You can just start with a couple. But if you've come back, you have a job, 
And that job is to strengthen your brothers and sisters in the faith. Now, for those who haven't come back, but maybe you're in the room today, maybe you're online tuning in, I just want to say that for you, I just want to say it's time to come back. It's time to come back to your church family. It's time to come back to faith in your God. We've just went through a pandemic that that has basically shaved off a third of the church's population in one year. And we don't even know where they went, but it's time to come back. It's time to come back to your faith. Because if you do, the Lord will restore you the same way that he did Peter. The Lord will get you back on your feet again the same way he did for Peter. Peter screwed this thing up royally. Like, that's the picture I want you to see today, not to embarrass him. I mean, he's dead, but like, I don't want to embarrass him. <laughs> he's fine. But, but what I want to say is, Gee, or Peter screwed this thing up royally. And what did Jesus do? He put him in charge of the entire operation. He built the entire church on him. This guy who blew it royally, not too long after this story, led 3,000 people to join the church in one day. Failure doesn't define you. It actually makes you stronger when you allow Jesus to do something through it. Failure is essential. We have to go through failure if we ever want to experience victory. So we got to pick back up where we left off and come back to the Lord. We have to run to God and not from God because it is only the presence of God in your life that will take failure and make it useful. It is only the presence of God in your life that will make you strong as a result of 2020. It is only the presence of God in your life that will enable you to live victoriously in every area of your life. And the reason I say this is because in Hebrews 12, verse 1, the author writes this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. So the author of Hebrews, when he says strip off every weight and the sin that so easily entangles, that sin he's talking about is most likely the sin of unbelief. Where are you struggling with unbelief today? Where has Satan sifted out your faith today? Where are you struggling to believe? The good news is, is Jesus initiates your faith and he perfects it. He started it, he finishes it. So Satan doesn't get to have the last word on your faith, not unless you let him. But as long as you come back to Jesus, he will perfect your faith. He initiated it. Satan tried to sift it. But Jesus will perfect it if you keep coming back. You keep pressing into the generous and gracious heart of God for you. And I know that you've probably screwed it up. I know I have screwed it up. 
just this year. But God is so much more gracious with us than we would ever dare believe. He is so faithful and so good. And in Psalm 145, verse 8, the author tells us that the Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He, shows, he showers compassion on all his creation. I have always loved this verse. For me, I love the fact that God's not a hothead. He's slow to get angry. But also, his first move is not to get angry. It's he's merciful. He's compassionate. He's filled with unfailing love. He showers his people with compassion. That's who God is. That's who your God is. And so even if you messed it up, we just have to follow Peter's lead and repent. And I know that word repent is a bit intimidating, but it just simply means to have a change of mind, to turn from your sin and turn to God. And so if we'll follow Peter's lead and repent, God will restore us. Jesus will make us right again. And look, if, if in the process of this year, you've hurt some people along the way, one of the first steps is just to begin making amends with that person, to make things right with that person, make things, make things right with God, but then we also make things right with people. We have to begin coming back to our faith because Jesus is forming in us a faith that will not fail. He's forming in us a, a faith that can, endure, that can endure any pandemic, any trouble, any 2020 that may happen again. Because here's the reality. As much as I would love to say that when the clock strikes and 2021 starts, that it's going to be just a do-over, a mulligan. You get to start new. But we know life doesn't work like that. Troubles don't just go away because the calendar year ends. The truth is, is maybe next year is harder. But the good news is, is it don't matter. It actually doesn't matter because, and I say this because in Hebrews 12, verse 26, I came across this and it just got stuck in me. And, and so the author says, when God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. And the thing I love about this is the kingdom you have received as a believer in Jesus Christ is unshakable. Yeah. Your hope in Jesus is unshakable. Your future is unshakable. And so in the midst of this year, when everyone has been shaken, we've gotten to see a lot of what's real. We've all been shaken up this year. And what we've discovered is there's a lot of stuff in us that we didn't know was there, but it's the shaking that helps you to see what is unshakable. And your hope is unshakable. So it doesn't really matter if next year is harder because you're secure. Your hope is secure. Your God is unshakable. 
That's what I want to say more than anything, is your God is unshakable. He is still in control. He did not take one second of one day off in 2020. He was on the job every day, and he is unshakable. His goodness is unshakable. The hope you profess in him is unshakable, so your faith doesn't have to fail because your God is trustworthy. So here's the thing. I know it's heartbreaking that so much of what we thought was real has been shown to not be real this year. Crisis reveals what's real, but you can build on what's real. You can build on something that's real. You can't build on something that's an illusion, but when you can have confidence that something is unshakable, it's firm, it's secure, it's solid, you can build on that. You can build a life on that. You can build a future on that. You can build your faith on that. We've been building on things that crumble for far too long. And that has been revealed to us in 2020, that so much of what we build our faith on has crumbled to the ground. But you can begin to build on an unshakable foundation today. And it's not hard. It's not rocket science. Uh, it's probably going to seem a little like, duh, to you. But what it means to build on an unshakable foundation is to go back to doing the things you once did when Jesus first gripped your heart. Think about the day when Jesus first grabbed a hold of you and you fell in love with him and you got passionate for him. You did things like reading your Bible all the time. You didn't understand it. It didn't make sense. Why is Moses in every book in the Bible? Where does he actually exist in this timeline? But you still read it. You still consumed it. You still tried. You said, hey, can you help me understand this thing? Because it don't make sense. Get back to consuming the word of God. And if you need help, ask Jesus to help you. Ask other people to help you. Matter of fact, ask me. I'll help you. I love that kind of stuff. But begin to devour the word of God again because that is trustworthy stuff. That is the truth that you can count on. Begin talking to God every day in prayer. And it's not some weird King James language. Just, just have a conversation with your heavenly father every day talking to God. Begin worshiping in your car, at your house, wherever that you're singing praises to God. Place yourself under godly teaching. Go to church every Sunday and don't miss. And if you're online, come to online church every Sunday. I know it's not the same. I know you don't like it. Come every Sunday because you need to hear the word of God. But then also plug into a group of Christian community. Plug into a group of Christian believers that can encourage you, that they can love you and know you and challenge you. We do not grow outside of community. I don't know if you knew that, but in isolation, you cannot grow. It is only in a group of believers that you can become all that you were meant to be. Join an e-group. Start your own e-group. Go hang out with people and read the Bible. It don't matter. Just get with a group of believers that can challenge you. Get back to doing the things you once did when you first fell in love with Jesus. That is what it looks like to build on an unshakable foundation. And if you'll do that, if you'll chase after Jesus, if you'll get your eyes off of everything in the world, 
If you'll get your eyes off all the troubles and the struggles in the world and begin putting your eyes back on Jesus, you'll find that over time you will be really difficult to shake. You're going to be really tough for Satan to sift. He can try all he wants, but you are so rooted and so focused on Jesus that he can't get to you. But would you pursue Jesus with that kind of intensity for 2021? Because if you will, what you'll find is that maybe this next year, you'll find you're actually a lot stronger by the end of it. And here is a declaration for you. Anyone in the room or online who's a believer, this is a declaration for you in 2021. Life may shake me, but it won't break me. Jesus is making me stronger. Life might shake me, but it sure won't break me because Jesus is making me stronger. Everything that comes your way this year, Jesus will use it for good. He will use it to make you strong. He will use it to make you secure. He will use it for your good if you will allow him to. But you got to keep coming back. You got to keep pressing in. You got to stay close to Jesus in this year. And if you will, you will be really difficult to shake. Life can try to shake you, but it will not be successful because you are firmly rooted in Jesus. And Jesus is using all of that to make you stronger. So it doesn't matter if next year is better or worse. Our God is unshakable. Our hope is unshakable. The church is not, the church survives no matter what opposition comes the church historically actually thrives in opposition. So let it come. Like, let the challenges come because God is bigger and better than anything that's going to come in this year. You can have confidence in him because he loves you. Like, he's invested in your life. And I know sometimes you don't see it, and yet he's still working. Sometimes he's moving, but you don't see it. He is working faithfully on your behalf in ways you don't even see. He loves you. He's invested in you. He will not abandon you. That's the beautiful thing about the sifting that happened with Peter, is Jesus already told him the outcome on the, on, on the front end. Before it even happened, Peter knew, hey, you're gonna screw this up, but I know you're coming back. And when you do, I need you to strengthen your brothers and sisters. So I don't know what this year holds for you, but what I do know is God is faithful. I know he's faithful. And if you'll keep pressing in, he will show himself faithful to you. In Hebrews, it talked about the cloud of witnesses. We're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, but they're not spectators. They're not watching you. They're witnessing to you how, how faithful God was to them. What they're doing is they're cheering you on. They're saying, you got this. You got to keep going. You don't need to slow down now. You got to keep pressing. You got to keep moving. You got to keep moving into the future because God is good and God is faithful. And we experience the worst things you could even imagine in our lifetime. But if he was faithful for us, he will for sure be faithful for you. This cloud of witnesses found throughout the scripture, these heroes of the faith, remind us that God is faithful and good and true. 
And so we get back to the scriptures and we're reminded of all the ways God showed up for them. And if he was faithful then, he'll be faithful now and he'll be faithful tomorrow. God loves you. God is invested in your life. I just feel like you need to hear that. I know 2020 sucked. I know it was hard, but it is not a reflection of God's love for you. Your hope is unshakable. Your future is unshakable. And your God can't be shook. He cannot be shook. He is firm and secure, and he is on the job working for you. We hear politicians saying that all the time. I'm on the job working for you, and we don't believe it for one second. But God is so different. Jesus is so different. When he says he's on the job, you better believe he is on the job working for you. Life might shake you, but it won't break you. Jesus is making you stronger. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for how faithful you've been. I know there've been times when we can't see it. There are times in 2020 when it's been so tough to see what you're doing, but you have been on the job every second of every day for the past year. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you're invested in us. And so we just wanna end this year by saying, God, thank you. Thank you for all the ways that you've worked behind the scenes that we don't even know about. We trust you. Now, I know there's some in the room where your faith has been really, really shaken. And God, I just pray for every person who feels that way. Would you restore their faith in you? Would you restore their hope in you? Would you restore their confidence in you? God, I pray that you would move and stir the hearts of your people, that we would come back to you, that we would not allow the challenges we've faced to push us away from you, but we would allow the challenges of 2020 to draw us deep into the compassionate love of God, the gracious heart of God. Let your love woo us back. Now, some of you in the room and online, I've talked a lot about Jesus and this hope and this confidence in Jesus. And, and for you, you haven't made that decision yet. You haven't committed your life to him. And if that's you, I just wanna say one, I'm so glad you're here, but then also like, this is your day. Like today is for you. And today your confidence can be secure in Jesus. And so I just wanna pray this prayer. The scripture tells us that if we will confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, that we will be a new creation. So I wanna pray this prayer and I just ask everyone to pray along with me and pray this, Jesus, I confess that I have sinned against you. I'm sorry for running away from you but today I place my life in your hands. Today I place my trust in you. I pray that you would take the old person away and replace it with something new. 
Today I give you my life. Today I give you my future. My life is now not my own. It is fully and completely yours. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Can we celebrate anyone who just made a decision today?